Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everybody, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. We are joined by a World Cup winner on this episode. We are joined by... Two time! <laughs> Two time? 2020 and uh, 50 over World Cup winner. Well, I was talking about the 2019 one to start with, but if you want to steal me thunder anyway, by all means, Sal Mulner. But... It was World Cup, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I suppose. I suppose it was. I suppose it was. I'll let you off. Um, Mark Wood. Local lad. From Ashington. And... Doesn't support Newcastle. Doesn't support Newcastle. But do you know what it is? The boy's done good. You always, mm. you always, want, you, you always want your own to do well. And... Mark Wood is not a Newcastle fan, but he is as another the North East and to have the opportunity to talk to him. He is an admirer of Newcastle and Newcastle United, but it isn't his first love. But we'll ask Mark in detail, Sam, why it's AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, um, there's that, but um, I've wanted Mark Wood, and I know you have as well, I've wanted him on this for years, like since we first started doing this podcast. Um, I apologise for my croaky voice. I don't know whether... I sound rough, whether I sound uh, sexy, but I've got the the lurgy that everyone's come down with, so I apologise if I'm a bit croaky. Um, but yeah, I've wanted Mark Wood on this um, since its inception. Um, phenomenally talented cricketer. Um, electric pace with the ball. Uh, injury problems. Ashington born and bred. And it's interesting because everything adds up to him, you know, he should be a huge, huge Newcastle United fan, but he's not. Um, we are fully aware of this. Um, but look, it's great to have him on the show. I encourage you all to buy his book. Uh, the link's in the description if, if you wish to do so. Uh, it's a fantastic read. You don't have to, obviously, you don't have to be a Newcastle fan because he's not one to enjoy it. But, you know, the, the point remains. Um Good book. Um, so yeah, he's he's a, an incredibly funny guy as well. Um, he does his own, he's got his own podcast with comedian Miles Jupp, Middle Please, uh, umpire. That's a great listen if you're into your cricket. Um, yeah, really, really great guy. So um, yeah, get his book. It's half price I, I, on Amazon as well, mate. I, I love the, I love the title as well. The, obviously, it's the Wood Life, of course. In, in regards to his surname, but the little title of it is From Ashington to the Ashes. So I like that. Obviously, we're from ashes to ashes, but the little slight difference there. But look, to be part of an Ashes winning team, which, you know, before 2005, where a former player and former Greenwood and Mulner show guest Steve Harmison was involved with, England didn't really win Ashes series. Now, it's very rare that they don't win an Ashes series, particularly in England. Australia is a different kettle of fish for obvious reasons, but to have that on your mantra before World Cup success, it must be unbelievable, Sam, because 2015 where it's where it kind of was this breakthrough year for Mark Wood. It just was a massive boom in terms of international cricket. Yeah, uh, really good uh, test match summer that was as well. Really good Ashes summer. Uh, that Trent Bridge game will live long in the memory. Um, Stuart Broad bowling, absolutely unreal. And uh, yeah, from Ben Stokes. <clears throat> yeah, oh, filth. Um, yeah, I mean, this is slightly different because I remember when we had Steve Harmison on episode two. Um, this was all the way back when the football had just restarted. We were sort of, we were like 
us muggles were still in lockdown. And all we wanted to talk about was Ashes, West Indies, wickets. And all Steve wanted to talk about was Newcastle's 3 uh, was it 3-1 against Sheffield United or 3-0? 3-0. Yeah, it was 3-0. Quickly, can you remember the goal scores that day? Maxi, Richie, Joe Linton. Very, very good. I, I would have been disappointed if you didn't get any of them. Mm-hmm. I am I am pretty renowned for being fairly decent on uh, general knowledge, Newcastle United. So Just not right. general knowledge, Greenwood and Moore, mate. Overrated, that show. Well, to be fair, I'm not surprised you would say that, but as the champion and the winner of that show, Mm. of that quiz it's uh, mm. it's still one of the highlights of my life to be honest with you I think when you look back at that moment where your face is in realisation that you've lost to little yeah. old me yeah good no I'm pleased for you yeah really good really really good but <laughs> we'll quickly move on before you punch me through the screen um, but, I, can't, yeah. I just don't have the energy I'm so ill yeah he's not very, he's not very well as our Sam but he, he didn't if he had the chance to talk to a World Cup winner Oh, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I'm not missing this for the world. That's, that's, that's you know, don't, don't even get me started. But uh, yeah, I, I, as I said, wanted Mark Wood on the program, on the program, on the podcast for ages and ages and ages. So really delighted we finally got him on. Yeah, so am I. So am I. I still remember where I was watching the 2019 World Cup final in particular. Mm. So that was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And we'll mention that last ball where he played a huge part <laughs> yeah there's a question that's been burning me for the past four years so I'm, I'm glad I'm going to ask him today of course you are well it's about time we get this podcast up and running so this is the Greenwood and Mulliner show and it is with Mark Wood the Greenwood and Mulliner show on Newcastle fans tv it looks like I've got a halo. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. This is a, I was just going to say good afternoon, everybody, but we'll say good afternoon or good evening or good morning to anybody that's watching the Green and Moment show on YouTube. But it is a massive welcome to everybody listening today on the podcast. It is a great episode of the Green and Moment show in store on Newcastle Fans TV today. Sam and I are joined by an Ashes winner and a two time. Well, a double World Cup winner, ODI 2020, it doesn't matter. Mark Wood is your man. It's a, it's a massive pleasure and a big welcome to Mark Wood on the Greenwood and Mullen Show. So welcome to the show, Mark. Hello, thanks for having us on, lads. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, born in Ashton and a Wimbledon fan. How? How's that? Uh, well, so when I was a kid, so all my me, all me family support Newcastle. Um, every, everywhere I look, obviously, Newcastle. And my best mate is well, one of my best mates, um, lifelong Newcastle. My other best mate, lifelong Sunderland. So I, I get a split in the middle. I think that's really why I did it, just to split them up. But um, when I was a kid, I used to collect the you know the Premier League stickers and stuff like that. And my favourite colour was blue. And um, I thought one of them looked like looked like my dad. I thought it was actually Hans Segas from Wimbledon. But <laughs> my uncle, uh, my uncle corrected us. He says Wimbledon, you're right, the right team, but it was the wrong guy. I think. I've got it upstairs. Hold on. I've literally got it just yeah, with that. <laughs> so this this is this is this is crazy because everything should point to the direction of Newcastle United. Everything. 
And we, to be fair, Johnny, you probably shouldn't have mentioned this until after we plugged Mark's book. Sure. I know. From the I know. actual we've got, sticker book. We've got plenty of time to do that. From the actual sticker book, Gary Blissey. Wow. So that was, he got it for my birthday. He says, this was actually the photo that looked like my dad and his name Tash. And uh, he was he was the guy. He says, oh, he looks spitting double on my dad. And my favourite colour is blue. This has got to be my team. So it was Wimbledon. My first game was um, Newcastle versus Wimbledon, like like live game. Um, I think it was Shearer's debut, and he'd scored two. And we were in the Wimble, uh, in the Newcastle end with me Wimbledon strip on. And usually you'd get like a bit of heckling from the fans and that. But then my mum was like, Dino to Dean Holt. And this thick Ashton, like she's from Newbegin, but Ashton accent. Dino, can we have a picture? And I think I'll, everyone was like, look and run us. Like, who are these lot with? <laughs> a bit there, uh, you know, hidden, I guess, um, loyalties with, with Wimbledon. But um, Wimbledon were brilliant with us. Every time I went down to, you know, watch a game or go and see them, I remember this used to stay in the Marriott at Gosforth. And um, they would, like, they'd give us a bar and they took us out like, where the team room was and stuff. And they were mint. Um, but since, like, I, I haven't been to watch many Wimbledon games. I mean, the last one I would have watched would have been four or five years ago. But I've been to probably maybe twenty Newcastle games in that time, like because I mentioned my best pal, um, and I saw so probably I, I mean Rob Elliott trains with Ashton Cricket Club, who obviously was the keeper. Sometimes Darlow and Shelby get up there, so it's like it's a bit odd that we've got this Ashton Newcastle connection. It's bizarre. Everything should point to you support. Mm-hmm. Everything should point to you being a huge, huge Newcastle fan mm-hmm. at Shearer's debut. Batty scored. David Batty scored a magnificent love that day as well. Mm. I, I, I just, it's just. I mean, we should we should have mentioned this after we've plugged your book, but <laughs> um, let, let, let's mention the book. Yeah. Why? Why now? Because you're only thirty three, which is a brilliant age. Um, shouldn't you wait like ten more years after you finish playing and then explosive reveal all, and you could like sell it for millions to the Daily Mail? Uh... A good question. I I think rather than doing like a sort of autobiography style, um, in which you know it was my career has been a bit uh, big highs, big lows, and those uh, sort of big gaps with being injured and stuff. Um, and I think it, this was rather than just being a stereotypical. I did this, I did that. It was a chance to do something a bit daft and a bit fun, which is, I guess, why the people who approached us plugged us, uh, plugged it to us, and just sort of said, look, let's do. Um, a spoof self-help book with the stories in between of of everything that's gone on so far. So I can tell times when I was in Australia, I've got some of the, the England cricket lads interject, Michael Holden, who's a massive West Indies um, cricketer. So I've actually got bits and segments from everywhere. Miles Jupp, who um, a comedian I do a podcast with as well. So there's bits from different people, home life, my family, my friends. So it's quite clever that the fact the book isn't just, I did this, I did this along a timeline. It's split into different chapters for example, if, you, if you're a cricket fan, there's a chapter how to be fast. But if, you're, if you want to know how to celebrate, that could be for everybody, you know. There's bits of, I'm a teetotal man. Often remember a lot of the stories from the drunk lads. I can't remember a thing. So there's different bits and different sort of parts for everybody that I think it's nicely sort of intertwined. 
I think it's very unique and I think it's very, very clever, actually. So I, I, look, we highly recommend it. We've, as you've seen on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, and again, for people that are listening on the podcast, the link is in the description of any podcast out there if you want to buy Mark's book. We highly, highly recommend it. But I think that is the question I was going to ask you. How do you celebrate when you take total, when you just won a World Cup, for example? <laughs> well, every, firstly, everyone needs a designated driver, so I'm not mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think no one, you know, the England team, especially because... Wouldn't party sort of on the quayside or you know in 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 Newcastle, where where every pocket's a different parts of the world. So um, I think I must be the man that tries to embrace all the cultures. I guess I'm 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 the one sober man that can be like, how are lads? We need to settle doing a bit here. But um, I think I mean as I said in the book, different ways to celebrate. I, I, when we won the World Cup final, the 2020 World Cup final, I celebrated with a glass of milk. Stokesy is constantly, I mean, constantly trying to get me to drink beer. Well, we, <laughs> like every time we get to the final, I mean, there'll be one day where I'll be thinking, I mean, I didn't get us wrong, I won't want to win everything in England, but there might be one day where I'm like, oh God, I hope we'll lose this one just so Stokesy doesn't force <laughs> another beer on us. Honestly, every time we win, he's like, right, if we win this one, you're having a beer with us. And in the book, I mentioned that I drink uh, uh, the World Cup final, I just sip this beer. And he was that plastered by the time we'd started to the end. That he couldn't remember that I drank the beer, so I, I must have like you know held it for three hours, sipping away, sip, 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 like little sip, then back to me water, a little sip, back to me water, a little sip, back to me water. So I've cut like put the drink on my head, and Stokesy finished it off, saw it off, there you go, and he's like, what? And by that time, he's absolutely smashed. So I wasted my time. How did the celebrations differ from the T20 to to the to the 50 over World Cup? Because Obviously, you were you were you were injured for the for the T Twenty for for the for the last two games, but the obviously there's there's a World Cup to defend very very soon, and there's a question four years in the making because I've wanted you on ever since we started this podcast, Mark, and I knew full well you weren't a Newcastle fan, but World Cup final, Lords, one ball to go. I know you'd injured your side a bit, but you came into bat with 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 Ben Stokes with there was one ball to go, wasn't there? Yeah. And this has been playing on my mind for for nearly four years. Why why are you wearing an arm guard <laughs> and a chest guard? Yeah, why? And pads why? And God knows what else. Um, honestly, I was that mashed up in the head, thinking, panicking that I was going to get in and you know have to hit the winning runs that I I didn't know what to do. I was sort of it's the only time. I mean, I get nervous when I play as everybody does, and that, I think that's normal. But it's the closest I've ever been to being sick. Like, I was so nervous at the end. Because if he got out, then it would have been me going in and having to hit the winning runs. And there was absolutely no chance of that. But the fact that I was in with him at the end, when I remember, like, running down the steps and that, it never once, like, he texts the mick of his all the time. But it never once crossed my mind that I had it all on. And then it wasn't until, like, I've walked back in after and, like, I've got the lads looking at us and I'm, I'm like... Oh shit! What am I doing? Like, no wonder I like the Titanic tones quicker. Like, what was going on? Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, at the end of the game, I'm getting absolutely blasted by my mates at home. Like, Milton's quicker, Titanic, all, all this crap. But I, I wish I hadn't worn it. But I was so mentally gone with just not thinking. I mean, I remember the thing I was thinking about. So I ran down the steps, and I'm thinking, right, if I if I sprint out of the middle, I'll be warm and ready to sprint. Well, yeah. of course, I was never going to sprint at my quickest when I've got all this kit on because how can you? <laughs> You're going to be like restricted. 
I remember thinking before the bowler runs in, don't get man-carried. So I'm like holding me back in the crease probably too long than I've got to. So it just tells you like when you're in pressure situations, how scrambled your brain can get. And probably someone like, it doesn't give Stokesy credit enough that the, the mental state he was in to see over the line in that pressure situation. Because if it had been me, we wouldn't have gotten anywhere near. See, Go on, Sam. My missus hates cricket with a with a passion, and she she was sat with me watching the World Cup final, and I just turned to her and said, "Why is he Why is he coming out with a fucking arm guard?" I, I, I but it all worked out well in the end. But my word, but I mean, what what a, it was a it was a it was a tough watch that that um, World Cup final. But the the it was a horrible and... game to be in, mate. To be honest, it wasn't nice to play. And like some, sometimes you, you're part of games, you think that was class, amazing. How awesome was that? It was a horrible game. Um, and like sometimes I just think as players, like it, it was so tense and back and forth. And, you know, we were winning them. They were winning. They would come back. You think we're dead and buried. Then we come back. And I think the game in general like that, it didn't flow well. Like it didn't feel like you mm. can still have tight games, but the game flows better. This was like the pitch was a bit hard to, you know, naturally be good. And um, I suppose it would be like, in, fo- in football terms, like playing on a on a like mud heap, and you know p- teams trying to get it down and knock it around, it's just qu- it was quite hard to like have a float of the match. Um, it, like obviously the ending is magical and amazing, but mm. I didn't I didn't enjoy the game one little bit. The semi final class, but the final itself was was hard. Uh, even when I watch it back now, I still find it tough to watch. When obviously it goes to the super over, and like I, I, you, you can tell, you've tried your best to get those two runs. You almost probably want Benter hit the stands, but again, probably on lower bad, which is probably safe to just to get at least one run, take it to a super a super over. In that particular conversation, I imagine Owen Morgan's having a think about who who do I want to bowl this over. You've got eighteen wickets. I know Joffrey got Joffrey Archer got twenty one. Do you think do you think you just mentally weren't in the right mind frame to take that super over on, and it was probably best for Joffre to do that, to take that super over on? Well, I think it was always going to be him um, because of the of the way that would use him early in the tournament. I think if you look at the four Seamers that could have taken it, myself, Plunkett, Archer and Wokes, um, I think every one of them would have, like no one would have refused, put it that way. I don't think anybody would have went, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bowl that over. I physically couldn't bowl it. I'd torn my side right before the the end of my spell so I don't think I was ever in question if he'd asked us to I'd you know I'd have been nervous but I'd have took it on um it was almost worse being so for the super over for Joffre I was on the side of the pitch I wasn't on the field fielding and uh, it was almost worse being off because then you, you're like you can't affect the game you're not like in the match moment you just sort of stood waiting to see what's going to happen um but Joff because he's so sort of laid back and um he's just like yeah like yeah, I'll do it. Like, whereas if I can imagine someone else, it might be like a few deep breaths or, you know, a bit more like inward and, you know, in their own thoughts. But Joffre wasn't like that at all. He was just like, yeah, uh, sweet. Um, we, I remember when we were doing the run chase, actually, he was asleep on the bench and he could sleep literally on a washing line, Joffre. But <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. Like, I was thinking, this is the World Cup final and he's trying to nap. Like, I was like, you know, what a boy. Got like pins and needles in my fingers, like I'm uh, constantly like trying to get the moisture back in my mouth. I knew he was trying to sleep it off, so amazing that he's got that cool coolness. I'm, I'm glad it was him in the end, obviously. Um, he'd done it in all these like 
tournaments around the world, like T20 tournaments and, you know, tournaments at home. So I think he was always the sort of go-to guy, really. I had a theory um, as to why you weren't a Newcastle fan. And that was because I thought after you won the World Cup, you, Ben Stokes, Jason Roy and Rory Burns, I think, were invited up to Newcastle. Uh, I think it was against Brighton. It was. It was a honking game. And it was the <laughs> worst game. I think it was the 5.30 on a sky. It was nil-nil. And it was the worst game you will ever see. I mean, I would have made you watch that game had we gone out in the group stages. It was <laughs> I, I, That was my theory as to why just I can't be doing with, with, with Newcastle. Well, it wasn't a great game, to be fair. But it was obviously winning the World Cup. We took the World Cup to Durham. I'd taken it to my home club, Ashington. So we sort of paraded it. Um, it's sort of the the cricketing circles, and um, Newcastle was the only sort of club in the northeast that asked or recognised the the fact that we'd won. Um, you know, we went there as as guests, and it was it was lovely. We got to meet Steve Bruce, and uh, there's a lot of fans have bad feelings about him, but honestly, he was a lovely bloke to us. Um, spoke well, uh, not really about the football. To be honest, he spoke so much about the cricket, and he was a massive cricket fan, and. Um, you know, surprised to hear how much he, he knew about the cricket and stuff. Um, and then, I mean, I remember we were, we were in like, so it's St. James's Park because I'd never been in the tunnel or anything like that before. We're in the tunnel and um, Bruce's sort of manager's office was down the hall, separate to, to the dressing room. And um, I remember Sean Amiobi sort of came in and he said, good luck today, boss. All right, Gaffer. I was just like, I was blown away by the way, like they interacted with each other. I thought it'd be much more like, um, sort of low-key and friendly and more like Brucey, Sherlock kind of stuff, but he was like, sure, so I, all right, Gaffer, good luck today, well, we've got the day. I was just like, this is mental, like, so he comes in like half an hour before, and like, Bruce was like sort of chilling with like a, a cup of tea and stuff, and I was just like, this would never happen in a cricket dressing room. It was just like, it was just bizarre the way that it, it, it worked out, and uh, we went into the dressing room, and apart from sort of Andy Carroll, who was obviously a Northeast lad and was chatting away, I mean, we're shaking hands with like some like uh, St. Maximin and all, and all that. And they must have been like, who are these blokes? Like, <laughs> absolutely no idea who these are. We're sort of like, all right, yeah, yeah, gonna. Like, we were like walking up around in that. But um, yeah, we were made to feel really welcome and um, lo- loved the day, um, given sort of, you know, top end hospitality and everything like that. So, from a lad from Ashton, I wasn't telling that to him. You certainly wouldn't. You certainly shouldn't, I should say. You, I, I think. Just a terrible, I mean, terrible game. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was just going to say, I wish you had a better game. Um, the last game, uh, when we played Leicester at home, that, that met up for it, that was a Belton game. So, um, obviously, Harney does the does the talk sport commentary. Um, so, he was there. I went to say hello to him. And um, I couldn't believe the atmosphere. I think I was the only one with a scarf or a flag in the whole stadium. So, everyone was getting crackers and nuts. And I was just sort of stood there like, ah. Uh, I feel a bit out of place here, but uh, and the effort of Koku fans in the house. That's I, what, that's what I, you I were on about. Like, Where's effort of Koku? Yeah, well, a bit of get the Wimbledon banter on, but no. Um, I, I couldn't believe the difference. Actually, is is what I'll yeah. say. Like from the game, so Brighton would have been one of the last games. I went. I mean, I went a few in between, but the, now that I'm talking about the Brighton game to to the Leicester game, the, the difference in the team was just you know. You know, chalk and cheese it was massive. I couldn't believe how quick, how organised. Like, need to respect Newcastle on that day when I went to watch them against Brighton, but it didn't seem like they had like 
tactically, I wasn't sure what they were trying to run. Whereas when I watched them against Leicester, you could see a clear plan of how they're trying to play, confidence, structure. And I couldn't believe the pace. I mean, there was a sprint, I think, I said to my mate, there was a sprint Joe Linton did in the 87th minute where he was on the right wing. And he sprinted back to his position on the left wing just to get into position to then defend. And like I was trying to say and sort of tell them in sort of cricket terms, I was like, that would be like you're in your like fifth spell. You're absolutely wrecked. And the captain hoys you the bar and he says, right, come on, get us a wicket. Like we need you to give everything you've got to this over. And I was just like, like physically, like absolute beast to help the team there. And I was like really impressed with the way Newcastle played. Obviously, you've been a sportsman for such a long time, Mark, and you obviously see football games like Newcastle Wimbledon doesn't make a massive difference in, in regards to the, the two different sports but physically how how different is it in terms of I know obviously football and if you bar a goalkeeper shall we say you're going to be running a lot you're not really have, going to have time to stop but is it more in terms of the cricket side of things especially in test matches five days you know it doesn't matter if you're bowling and batting you're still you're still exercising at the end of the day does it do you think it takes more of a toll on your body being a cricketer Long term, or do you think maybe as a footballer, it's 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 more short term? Um, well, I would say that I think they're very different. If I'm honest, um, I'll give you a heads up. So, in, in a five day test, as a as a fast bowler, which is my rule, I'm covering sort of fifty k's, forty to fifty k's in a in a game. Whereas a footballer's covering what like if you're a midfielder, it's what like ten to fifteen a gun. But they're constantly, you know, um, they're not doing much walk jog sprint whereas that would be a lot of my work so it'll be like um because with being a fast bowler i would sprint um exert you know powerful energy then i get a walk back and then it, it repeat 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 whereas as a footballer i think they're constantly on the move and it's 90 minutes of high impact a cricket game can sort of be a bit uh, wishy-washy if you're playing 2020 it's fast paced you're sprinting your position. You've got to get the game done within, I think it's an hour and 15 or an hour and 30. You've got to have your ball and stint done. So you're constantly and mentally switched on. Probably a little bit closer to what a football game would be like. But over a test match, which is five days, it's sort of, you can mentally switch off in between balls. You're stood in a, essentially a grass field, wandering around, looking at the clouds. Then you're switching on again. So I think it is very different. Um, I think football has... I would say the impact of me bowling, just the, the the technique of bowling, I think it's seven times my body weight goes through my front side, so that's heavy. But the impact of a footballer over nine months of constantly playing 90 minutes high impact, I would say that's probably longer term more detrimental. But in terms of me being a fastballer in that one action, I would say that's maybe more force than what a footballer would, would do. So it's it sort of plays off very differently. I mean, you've had more than your fair share of injuries, and someone oh, else's. Sh- yeah, off. and you've had someone else's share as well because you've had that many. It's it, it's so unfortunate for you. Where are you up to now? Do you have to kind of pinpoint um, sort of matches, test series, white ball tournaments? To, do you have to kind of cherry pick what you need to stay fit for? Yeah. Um, I think that's coming more and more into the game. Um, if I mean, I've been given two months off, even though there's England games on. As we, you know, as we're speaking here, England's just played South Africa. Um, it's not that I'm not fit for that. It's that I'm being rested from um, the earlier winter. So I've done um, Pakistan, Australia, back to Pakistan, um, and then it was Christmas. So I think I was the. There was only me and Harry Brook were the only two players that did the whole lot. 
um, and you know I've got a young family at home, so it it's it's harder and harder when you spend months and months away from home. Um, the formats become, especially if you're playing all the formats. I guess naturally, like you mentioned, I've been injured that many times that I've had breaks, which has given us a chance. But in the last two or three years, my injuries haven't been as much. Um, so actually, to be able to spend time at home with families, you know, vital. And I think you know England recognise that as the white ball game is going on in South Africa, the the one day games, the test matches, the lads have landed already in New Zealand for the test matches there, which start, I think, you know, in a week or so's time. Mm. So they're, they're actually crossing over more and more because they're just piling more and more games together. A bit like, I guess, in the football world as well, where it just seems to be a never-ending list of fixtures and it's cricket's getting the same way. So it, although there's more money coming into cricket, especially in the 2020 tournaments around the world, it's a little bit of a worry that at some point people might have to start picking and choosing, saying, look, we might not even get to play for our county. If you're a good international player, you might say, I can play X, Y, Z around the world, make so much money, and then I'm not have to to do this county contract. And then the red ball game all of a sudden becomes, um, you know, less popular, less inviting because the money's not in it. So it's a tricky situation where um, there's so much money around the world being pumped into cricket that the schedule is demanding every player plays. It's almost impossible for you to do everything. So there's times where players might have to pick and choose a format or pick and choose, you know, when to have a break and when to play certain things. I think for me personally, growing up, um, you know, I used to watch Test My Cricket. That was my thing growing up. And playing for England is my is my greatest, greatest passion, I suppose, in, a, in football terms. How do I say this? Like, be playing for Newcastle, wouldn't it really, if you're, if you're a North East lad? Rather, I know, like, obviously England's the same, but... I would say like playing for England was was always the pinnacle for me um, and to play as much for England. But again, with having a young family, the the money that's around the world, it's becoming, you know, more of a harder decision to, to what you can keep going and what you can't. Well, it's obviously a, it's a big year anyway. It's an Ashes year, if I'm right in saying as well. So you, look, it's, it's it maybe just saving you for, for the Ashes, Mark, but it's, it's, it's going to be very, very interesting to see, to see what happens. But just briefly talking about the Ashes, I know like 2015 was a big, big year for you personally in terms of international cricket. Um, me and Sam were just reminiscing about Trent Bridge and Australia being bowled out for 60 and Stuart Broad having the time of his life in his home county. What did you learn about yourself in terms as a cricketer in that Ashes series? And did you feel part of the team? Did you feel that, yeah, I should, I belong here? Uh, no, I didn't. Not, not, not at that point in time. Um, I would say probably my career would be would be split over two. Really, um, I would say I changed my run up um, in 2019. I'd say that's when the first time I really started to belong because I started to put in performance that I felt reflected how I how I should play. Um, I know that's negative to say, but I think early on I could shoot and like dribs and drabs, but I couldn't consistently do it to the level that I think it required, really. Um, and then in 2019 in the West Indies, that was when I really sort of feel like I belonged. I mean, 2015 Ashes is still you know, an amazing memory, something I'll never forget. Um, you know, if I'd just done that and my career stopped there, I'd still played for England, still won an Ashes. That is like the best thing, you know, I could have ever hoped for. Um, but I, I still think that 
2015 Ashes when I think back, I was I was nowhere near where I sh- where I should have been really. But the intensity of it, the adrenaline, the everything that to play in that series is immense. Um, and I was sort of shocked by that. Really, I just come into the team, you sort of take it in your stride. But now when I think back, I think, wow, that was it was a lot to put put on, on my shoulders at the time when I probably wasn't ready myself. Um, you know, I thought I was ready and, you know, maybe they could see potential in us, but I didn't think I was I was at the the level of the standard I should have been really to 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 require to, to really be at the top of top of the game. So you made up for it since then. <laughs> I, tried, I, don't, I, tried. I don't think you've done too bad. Um but like at least, we, won, up, at least we beat Australia there. Well, the last yeah, exactly. one just been Australia. Jesus, I've forgotten that one already. Like we found just blanked that up <laughs> your memory. Yeah. Yeah. You keep that twenty fifteen yeah. one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, like growing up, watching fast bowlers, like I, I think of Alan Donald, I think of uh, Walsh and Ambrose. Like they're evil. Like, like the proper mean streaks, horrible attitude, kind of evil. <laughs> You're quite placid, laid back. But do you, do you, what really fires you up? Do you have to get fired up to bowl ninety four, ninety five mile an hour consistently? Uh... No, I think I think I play better when I have fun. To be honest, I think that that would be more my thing. Um, you know, when I'm enjoying myself, when I feel free, when I feel loose, when I feel, um, I guess, I think free is the perfect word. Really, when when I feel free and like that, I can just charge in, be myself, have fun with the game, play it as if I'm playing for Ashton when I where I first started. Um, that's probably when I feel I perform my best and when I bowl quickest. When you're tense or you try too hard. I think at times in the early part of my career, I actually tried too hard to impress or, or too hard to bowl fast and it didn't work for us. I didn't bowl well. So I think actually trying to, to just feel like it's just any other game, but it's, it's easier said than done that when you haven't got like it behind you. But I think just trying to feel um, like you belong, like you're playing with your mates, like trying to take the emotion out of this is wow this is playing for England I think you have to have an inner belief and inner strength and inner drive to not let them take the the mick with you not let them you know get the better of you and you're going to try and get one up on them I'll always have that inside of us but I'd rather be Kevin Shane was I mentioned in the book actually but Kevin Shane who was a bowling coach always used to say yeah you're best when you're a smiling assassin so if I can have that fun element and that sort of uh, I and I have got you here, or um, I hope that one hurt when it got you. I'd rather be that than you know, sort of snarling. And at five foot eleven and about six stone wet through, I think snarling my teeth doesn't really intimidate anybody anyway. So I think I'll stick with the smile and assassin. I like that. I like that. I like the fact that you say you like having fun, and an element of that fun that you you show on the cricket pitch is when you using your feet, not your hands, when you're trying to kick the stumps and shouting Ped Spire and Aspria and Shearer and everybody else probably. But how many times do you think that clip of you shouting Ked Spire or Aspria when you're kicking the ball towards the stumps, has that been, how many times has that been clipped up by your mates in WhatsApp groups or on social yeah. media, on Twitter? Like I even looked, I remember when I was doing the research for this, I was going back to Newcastle fans TV, Twitter page, and I think Sam put it up with you shouting uh, Ked Spire and Aspria. Quite a few times against New Zealand as well. So did that just was that just completely random and how many times has that been shown to you? Uh, so I think 
Um, the first time I did it would have been years ago, but Shearer, I think, was the first one I did with my right foot. And um, Butler, Josh Butler, who was the wicketkeeper, absolutely loved it. A few of the other lads loved it. The ping that were in the WhatsApp group on the night times, the lads at home, the national lads there, loving it. And I don't know, but for some reason, it was just, the way it, it just fell. I, the first thing that caught my mind was, you know, obviously, um, 90s baby, so I'm thinking 90s football, Shearer right foot, I'm banging this straight the stumps. Had to be him. So then I just sort of rolled with it. And then I like the lads, obviously, because I'm from the Northeast, knew that I would shout. So, so when it was on my left foot, I'd shout Janola because obviously he was a left-sided player. <laughs> and then if I was feeling a bit mental, I'd shoot Ketsbaya, a sprayer if I was trying to trick or something like that. So I just tried to mix it up after that. But uh, I, I'll be keeping that fun element in again. And the, the lads seem to love it. So just trying to, 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 to roll with it, really. Classic Newcastle fan. See, all of a sudden you'll be coming to Wembley next. Yeah, <laughs> I'll get my scarf. <laughs> yeah, bring your scarf. Absolutely. I, I, I loved it. But why weren't you shouting Holdsworth? Or, or why, why is it always got to be? You've got to show your true colours, surely. I don't think having a, a Joe, well, a, an Ashtonian Geordie accent and shouting a Wimbledon player's name would have quite of the effect that I wanted. So I had to shoot a North East name, didn't I? Sheer obviously being a North East man, um, I had to, I had to go with him. So he was he was the one I had to shout. It's funny because I know I don't you can actually tell me if I'm right or wrong because I know England cricketers used to play football. I don't know whether it was the, the, the day before, a couple of days before, and I know some people were getting injuries and I know they they stopped it. Did they still let you do it? Did they not let you do it? Who's who's the best out of the out of the, uh, the England lads? I uh, were banned. We're all banned now. We're not allowed because there was two or three injuries. I think Bastow got a bad injury in Sri Lanka. Rory Burns got an injury in South Africa, which both needed um, or one definitely needed surgery. Um, so I got banned from that. But they were they were literally the most competitive parts of the day. I remember there'd be times where like we'd obviously split the teams. You'd pick for captains and stuff like you're on a schoolyard or anything like that. And literally, it would ruin people's day. Like, if we got beat, there'll be lads not speaking to each other. And the coach is like, well, we'll kind of have this. We're preparing for a match, and you'll not speak to him, and he'll not speak to him. Um, but I was, it was class. The the best players, so Josh Butler's a good player. I always say him. Um, probably, like, he likes that, like, sort of number 10 role behind the front man. He's He was a proper player. I think he probably could have been a footballer at some level. But whether he would have been a high level, I'm not sure. But he would definitely have been a could have been a pro thing. Um, Chris Walks is world class. We call him Zizu because he's that silky on the ball when we're training. But when it was a match day, so we used to play on a match day, he was not interested one little bit. Didn't want to waste any energy. Um, massive um, Aston Villa fan, and he just could not be bothered if it was a if it was a match day. So. Um, good in training, but um, didn't didn't produce the goods on 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 the match day. Um, other good players. Um, so the lads I'm thinking of: Joe Root, massive Sheffield United fan, um, sort of a goal hanger, creates space for a lot of people. Not a bad finisher, but lacking pace. Jimmy Anderson, big Burnley fan, likes to play on the left wing, cut inside and slot them. Um, Stuart Broad, big Nottingham Forest fan, because he doesn't like it when I say Notts Forest. So, Nottingham Forest fan, um, uh, centre half, but more a bit more like like Bambi than a, than a <laughs> you know, than a tough Terry Butcher. I think he, he thought Terry Butcher, but um, I'm thinking, what was that that tune centre half? The is it 
boom, boom song or something like that. Boom like boom song. Yeah, he was uh, rubbish. Running as one foot, kind of shifted, uh, not like that. So we, we had some, we had some good players, um, but not, not like really good. And Moan Ali's a big um, Liverpool fan, and he's not bad. But I'd say the best out of them all would have been, would have been Butler definitely. Speaking um, about the the bowling unit. How important is it when you're steaming in at one end to to have someone uh, to keep the pressure on from the other end to, to keep the pressure on the batsman? And who who who's your favourite sort of teammate to be dovetailing the bowling attack with? Because like you've played like the bowling attack that you've been involved in is probably one of the best in England history. Like Anderson, how is he still going? He's unreal. Mm. He's unreal. He'll be bowling till he's sixty five years old at this rate. Yeah. Jimmy's the best you can bowl with, just just simply because he creates opportunities for you. It's like you're bowling in a partnership. He can like um, keep it tight, or you know, make something happen. Then at your end, they think that it's a release, or um, they, they have to take a chance against you, and then that in turn brings wickets. I've played in plenty of games. I think Sri Lanka was a, a massive eye opener to me because you you think, oh well. He'll not be as effective because he's not fast or he's not, you know, as threatening because the ball not move around. But he was, he was, he never missed his length. He was top class, like running in terms of his fitness. I mean, he's forty odd year, like you say, forty year old. He could go on forever and ever. It feels like, and um, in the one day game, very similar. Chris Walks is great to bowl with for the exact same reason. I feel like they just know that game. They're very sort of consistent if they have a bad game it's almost a, like a surprise that it's not gone well for them rather than they're just so consistent in that performance that actually when you're playing with them it takes the pressure off you because you know not that you're relying on them or like you can drop off your game because they're doing well but it certainly gives you confidence knowing if you're born with them that you, you've got a good chance or you can work together if I get a dog ball off this last ball Jimmy's going to be all over this guy at this end or Wookie Get, get this lad off strike because I, I fancy the other guy. And I think we've got that good sort of communication as a group. I feel like over the years, from when I've played, in general, the bowling groups felt pretty good. The only ones I don't like is the spinners because they get through their overs too quick and I'm bloody knackered when I bowl there. <laughs> but apart from that, uh, we've, had a, we've had a good togetherness as a, as a bowl all the time. There's obviously going to be a lot of slimmer, slimmer, I'll try and say that word again, similarities between you and Steve Harlison, both from Ashington, both fast bowlers, both play for England and play for Durham as well. How much, was he an inspiration to you? Was he your role model or was it somebody else that we've, we've forgot to mention? No, no, Harmy was definitely, you know, my sort of inspiration. When you have a guy that you can look up to, obviously coming from a, a working class background, he would always come up to the to the ground and like, you know, he didn't have a double barrel name. He didn't go into a private school. Like, he couldn't afford the his family weren't like mega rich and all like that. So actually, for him to come up to give a little bits of England kids to to watch we play, you know that's in, that's inspirational. And then you can watch him on the TV and you're like, I know this guy. Like this is, you know, I know who this is. It's Harmy. Like this is amazing. So I think he was definitely one of the first ones who I would have watched. I mean, I would watch people before him like Darren Goff and people like that who were just before Harmy who I still thought were inspirational. But I would say if I, to have Harmy at my little club where I could see him, like he would come up every weekend. Um, and now he's like Lord Protector or something of Northumberland. So and <laughs> he's been Ashton FC manager. So if I'm not assistant next week, I'm going to be spewing. 
or if I'm not some sort of Northumberland warden or something like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even, I remember the, I got asked in an interview and they were like, oh, Harmy, obviously the Ashton Express. And he's six foot five, massive. And they're like, well, what does that make you? Yeah, the only thing I think of was, well, what's like an Express? So I said, Ashton Choo Choo Train. And the same journalist <laughs> it still comes up as no one can. Choo Choo Train. I'm like, ah, It's stuck now. We had Steve Harmison on the show a couple of years ago. It was right when the football had just started after lockdown. Well, I think we were still in lockdown and the football had just started again. And all me and Johnny wanted to talk about was 2005 Ashes, West Indies. And all Steve Harmison wanted to talk about was our win against Sheffield United the day before. He was absolutely yeah. buzzing for it. Did not want to know. Yeah, Michael Clarke's slow, but now forget it, mate. But it was. Just... Did, he, did he speak in his Ashton voice or did he speak in his TV voice? Ooh. Oh, I think there was a bit of, mm, I think, TV voice, I think. Because he's got a lovely, when I hear him on the radio and he's on talk sport and stuff, he's got this lovely sort of voice that he's obviously, is, tries to speak like his phone voice, correct. And then we're seeing him in the pub, or I see him at Ashton Creek Club. Hello, Woody, what were And I'm like, this is a different block. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I think I think we definitely got that. I think we got the. I think we got the radio voice. To be yeah. honest, I, I, I think we did. Right. Yeah, consummate pro. But like, obviously, his era, like the two thousand five Ashes, just inspired a, a generation. Do you kind of worry about the future of Test cricket with just constant new white ball tournaments appearing in every corner of the world? Um, yes and no. I think. Obviously, the resurgence of the test team this summer um, and in the winter, you know, having McCullum and Stokes, I think is give, I think real cricket lovers will always love that side of the game. Mm. The only thing I worry about is lads that, you know, if they're, if they're getting a new audiences and things like the 100 and the 2020 cricket, what's more, you know, I guess, um, rewarding or inspiring for a young kid? I can go to Australia, I can go to the West Indies, I can go to America. I can go there and earn a fortune or I can stay in England on a low county contract and try and play for England that way. So I think there is still that pride of playing for England. I still think that will always be there amongst real cricket lovers. But if you're a young kid growing up, there's opportunity there to be a tour or white ball specialist and love that side of the game as well. So I do agree with what you're saying. I think there, there is a worry and it will have to be looked at at some point because that's where the money's going to go. Um, mm. if the crowds aren't going to test matches, which we have got in England, to be fair, but if you look at other countries around the world, are they going to keep those um, crowds? Are they going to keep the money in the game? Are their best players going to want to stay in test match cricket if they're not getting proper contracts? We've just seen like Trent Bolt, he hasn't accepted a New Zealand contract. He wants to play in the competitions around the world. He doesn't want to play under a New Zealand bracket because the con he can earn two, three, four, five, six times the amount doing that. So it is tough for people to decide. So at some point it will have to be be looked at. But I think in England, we're still all right. See, I'd, I'd love test cricket. Like I could I could watch a test series all day, every day, no bother. But my five-year-old lad hates all things cricket until he saw the 100. Hmm. Which I was ambivalent towards at the start, yeah. but it, it it got him bang into cricket. So it just goes to show, like, because I know the hundreds a bit marmite still. It 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 just proves that it's brought a new audience to the game. Yeah, and you know I, I wouldn't be 
you know, shy in saying this, I wasn't sure about it at the start either, to be honest. Um, it was a competition where I thought, why do we need to change something that's already, we've already got the, the T20 blast, we're already producing players that are winning World Cups for England. Why do we need to change it? But actually, when you look at the bigger picture of women's cricket and, you know, getting new audiences and things like that, it's, it's raised the bar for them. Like for, you know, there's now better players wanting to come to England to play in this competition in terms of the men's game. Um, there's, you know, whereas it, once upon a time, there's no way people are going to want to play three months or wait four months across an English summer to just play the 2020 when they can go to India, they can go to here, they can go to there to earn a lot of money. And with the young kids, the 100, it's very easy to follow. If you don't mm. know anything about cricket, you, it's explained. There's 100 balls, get as much as you can. There's bright lights. There's, you know, it's a countdown. It's fairly simple or simpler to follow. So I sort of understand that. But I, I think because I was already a cricket, I guess, purist or whatever you want to call it, I was a little bit like unsure to start with. I still hadn't played a game in it. Um, my team's London Spirit. Um, <laughs> so whether whether or not, you know, I, once I've played in it, because I've spoken to England lads about it, and they say it's great, it's fast, it's fast-paced, it's this, it's that. So they, they've they actually embraced it and say it's good, but I think I'll I'll keep my judgment until I've, until I've played. But it's done great in some aspects, um, but I'm, I still think that we could still get it even better. Yeah, hopefully so, hopefully so. I, I have to be honest, you've mentioned him a couple of times already. You call him Stokes, you are calling Ben Stokes because he's, he's your mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't know how just say, just say Stokes, you're tight with him, you It's how it works, man. Stokes. Because <laughs> you, cause you were letting me do it, I'll say Stokes. Um, I have to be honest with you. When it comes to England cricket, if you said name one one player, and when it comes to England cricket right now, it is Ben Stokes. And second is Mark Wood, just to put it there. Um, <laughs> but, but when it comes to two big moments, obviously you were a part of the, the World Cup in 2019 where Ben was incredible. I know he played his part in the T20, but the Ashes game at uh, Headingley, I was on my way to Tottenham, Newcastle playing Tottenham, and I literally had my phone in the car well, I was in the passenger seat, just to put it out there. I had a phone in the car watching that uh, that match against Australia. And I've never been so nervous. I think I was more nervous in that last hour, that last partnership with Jack Leach, than I was when Newcastle playing Tottenham. And Newcastle beat Tottenham that day. Um, my question is, out of those two moments, or out of those two um, unbelievable batting displays, which is the best... Or which is the more harder to do? Because the Ashes is yeah. on the line. The World, it's a World Cup final. There's probably not much in it in terms of an, an England an England fan or an England cricket lover. In your personal opinion, what is the better achievement out of those two? Um, I mean, it's a great question. If I'm honest. Uh, oh, great! Now you've said that, he's going to clip that up and put it in our WhatsApp group all freaking week. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all I week. think I think his achievement at Henley because that that will go down forever is you know mm. one of the best innings um, ever. It defines him as a person, and the World Cup is obviously amazing. But I think to to for some for everybody to remember him as a person, him as a cricketer, his moment. I think Henley is that you know is an England cricketer. Your rival is Australia. It's the hardest format in terms of 
the Red Bull. I know the World Cup would never won it before and, and everything like that. And it's absolutely not dulling that down one little bit. But Henley is so iconic, I think, for him that I would say that that is the best and the toughest because it is the toughest format. The ball moves around more. They can put every man on the line. You know, we're dead and buried almost like in the World Cup. Yes, we were up against it at certain points and it looked like it was over, but that's, he, he just, there's very few people can do what he did at Headingley. So I'm going to go on with that one. How are you watching that at Headingley? Because, like, are you watching for, like, ball movement? I, I, was, I movement? was not good at all, actually. I was in um, a um, um, baby practice nappies and stuff class. What, <laughs> what, 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 what is that called again? Um, it's a summit class. I can't remember the name of it, but I was in Newcastle in the RBI. Um, uh, practicing, practicing pre, pre, pre-natal. Yeah, we never, practicing. we never did them. I just relied on the wife. She I knows saw, it all. I was fuming <laughs> with Sarah. I didn't speak to my wife. I didn't speak about all the way home because I'd missed the greatest things. Like when I went in, I was like, "We're finished. That's it. We're done. Like ashes is gone here. That's it. It's over." And then I come out and we won, and I was like, "You've made me miss. He's done it." Oh, and like I didn't speak about the whole way home. Still, still to this day, actually, it still hangs over a relationship. I haven't quite gotten over it. And you were changing nappies on a baby doll in the IVI. That's right. That's right. But what I will say is, when my son came round, by God, I knew how to put that nappy on. It wasn't a wasted day, then. No. <laughs> um, the last couple of questions, Mark. Um, Durham is obviously something that's in, uh, very, very close to your heart, and to play for Durham, I can imagine that's that's the first tick in the box, and then England's obviously later on. What is your best moment in a Durham shirt? And I love the fact that you sing the Blade and Racers because it, it's it just shows that you. It's just the northeast in a nutshell. It doesn't matter where you're from in the northeast. You're so proud to be from the northeast, and I completely get that. Sam, even though Sam isn't from the northeast, he gets it. He gets it as yeah. well, which is it's just it's just amazing. I love it. Yeah, I think well, we we. And this is being brutally honest with you. If we had a Sunderland song or a Middlesbrough song, we might have sung that as well. I think we associate the Blading Racers with the Northeast. Um, you know, Durham, that's what Victory song is the Blading Racers. If we if we put in a it's not like we I, I don't think we sing it every time, or we might sing it a lot of the time, but it's just it, it represents who are the values we feel are within our group and that's the song of the area. We're we're represented by a lot of academy lads. And that's what we want to 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 stand by. We want to stand by the the Bladen races, and it has a bit of a northeast twang in it. Anybody, I mean, we've had some South Africans, we've had some Aussies, and they've embraced it as well. So that's great that we can you know dive into that culture of the northeast, those hardworking values, those togetherness values, and that song is part of that. Um, and my proudest moment at Durham shirt has got to be when we, when we won the league in 2013. I think because I think that's. Um, we did it with a, I think it was ten out of the uh, of the eleven. Uh, the majority of the team are from the academy, are, are local lads. And um, Jeff Cook, who was the coach, had had a heart attack early on the year, sort of win it almost for him as well. Um, was pretty special. So that's that's you know obvious. What are your own personal sort of goals for twenty twenty three? Be a part of a Ashes winning side. Um, be part of a, the World Cup team to retain it. 
you know, not much though. It would be very look. It would be very English to say, "Oh, we're not going to look too far ahead." Um, there's other good teams. We've got a bloody good team. Like, we should we should celebrate it more. Like, this is one of the best periods in English cricket history. We've got a, a class team full of class players, and at the end of like when I finish playing, I'll say, "God, I've got to play with Joe Root. I've got to play with Ben Stokes. I've got to play with Josh Butler." Like it, Johnny Best, like you could gone on, Joffrey, you go on and on and on. These are some of the best players we've ever produced. And we're playing in a team that that could win all this stuff. So I, I believe that we can. And, and that's what my goal is to, to win this stuff. Or not. I'm not going to be very English and be like, oh, uh, I think believe in myself and believe in each other. I love, I love the positivity. I love that. It, it's it's just confidence. It's not arrogance by any stretch of the imagination. No, no, it's a, well, no, it's a big no, confidence. I'm, yeah, not arrogance one little bit. I just think that to give you a TV or radio or whatever podcast answer would be unfair. I think the best thing to do would be to say we believe in ourselves and it's achievable. Like well, we can do it. It could be a spe- it could be a special summer. Summer it might not be, but we believe we can win. Love it. Final, Love it. Yeah. Love it. Final, final question, Mark. I have, I'm going to put a football related as well, just for our, for our Newcastle, massive Newcastle fans out there. Would the perfect 2023 be Newcastle winning the Carabao Cup and England winning the Ashes? Sounds perfect to me. <laughs> and Wimbledon get promoted as well. Exactly. I just think when you see, when you see, I, I hope you can understand where I'm coming from, Mark. I think if Newcastle were to win a trophy, I, I know you've probably had some massive, massive celebrations when England have done well in the cricket, but could you just imagine the city of I Newcastle think, I think the if they won a trophy? Doing for a week. If Newcastle won up here, the, the whole thing would be on, would be, would be locked down for a week. I, I, I think it'd be great for the area. Um, you know, not just, and again, I don't want to like, I know this is a Newcastle podcast, but anytime something good happens in the Northeast, whether it's Durham cricket, you know, the basketball, it could be anything. I, I, I just want to see people from this area do really well. Um, and I really hope that, you know, Newcastle can, can win that. Spot on. Spot on. Um, quick little one for me. Any more um, Middle Please podcast with uh, Miles this summer? Uh, we're coming back. Season four is on its way. It'll not be long. Lovely stuff. I thought he was going to ask you. I thought he was going to ask you that after we finished the podcast. So <laughs> no, no, no. So I've got I've got video proof now. <laughs> Coming back, don't worry. Fantastic, so Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I generally, generally mean that. It's been brilliant to talk to you. Cricket, Newcastle, Wimbledon, anything to do with the northeastern cricket, I, I, I'm a big fan of, and Sam certainly is as well. Uh, again, we just want to wish you the very, very best of luck in your England cricketing career and your doing cricketing career, of course, as well. In particular, in that Ashes series, make sure make sure you're on that in that team for that uh, for that five test marathon, which I know it sounds brutal but amazing at the same time. Thank you, cheers, lads. Thanks for having us on. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, Sam. Where can everybody listen to this podcast? Links are all in the description, as well as the link for Mark's book. Give it a buy. I think it's half price on Amazon, but you know. You know, I don't think that I don't think that affects your percentage, though, does it, Mark? So it's fine. It, <laughs> it, 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 it's all good. It's all good. Buy it. It's 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 a brilliant read. So uh, all the links you need are in the description. And uh, best of luck toppling Steve Smith this summer. No run. Fuck off. So for myself, Jonathan Greer, my co-host Sal Muller, and today's guest, the World Cup winner, Mark Wood. We'll see you all very soon.
Newcastle Fans TV.